are listening to audio from Emmanuel Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more resources like this one, go to EmmanuelBirmingham.com. I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter 1, verses 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit, for the obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This is God's holy word. Thank you, guys. Good morning, church. How's everyone this morning? It's great to see all of you. We're going to begin a, a new series this morning in the book of First Peter. Really excited about uh, starting this. We'll cover the first two verses of First Peter uh, this morning. But uh, before we jump into it, I want to begin with a little audience participation. All right, I want you guys to participate in this. I just want to give you a, a fair warning, though. For some of you, this is going to bring back very pleasant memories, and maybe uh, for others, maybe not so pleasant memories, likely from your junior high or high school days. I want you to think about a time that you've ever tried out for something. You know what I mean? Like, like, like gone through a tryout, maybe for a basketball team or a soccer team or tried out for a part in a play or uh, the band or the dance team or cheerleading squad or whatever it is. I want you to, to raise your hand in here if you have ever tried out for something at some point in your life, all right? Now, if you made the team, keep your hand. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that to you. I want you to think about, for me, just the word tryout just produces a just kind of a low-grade nervousness thinking about uh, the first tryout I endured when I was in eighth grade, uh, trying out for the baseball team. Um, the way my school was set up, like 10th through 12th grade was like the varsity team, and they had like an eighth and ninth grade team you could try out for. I remember it was January, uh, so kind of uh, this time of year, it was a Saturday morning. I remember being really nervous the night before, but we had to go out to the high school field for tryouts. We're being so nervous about it. And uh, of course, I'm an eighth grader. And so my mom's dropping me off and all these cool high school guys are showing up in like Jeeps and trucks and all this stuff. And uh, these coaches have clipboards and uh, they're putting us through all these drills, you know, try to uh, hit these balls or field or throw. Uh, they made us run um, a 60 yard dash, which uh, for your boy was not my high point that day. Um, but anyway, we go through all of these tryouts and they send everybody home and they say the roster is going to be posted at like 4 p.m. this afternoon on the on the field house door man tryouts can be really nerve-wracking right wondering if you made the team so keep your experience of a tryout in mind we're going to come back to it at a later point in the sermon so why first peter why first peter it's a practical letter. I think it helps us navigate life, understand how to live. It's written, it's, it's very relevant to us. It's written to people enduring a difficult time in a culture that was hostile towards God. It's this handbook for Christian living. There's all sorts of practical things through First Peter. 
And I think it's also helpful to think about Peter himself, what we know of him. He introduces himself here in verse 1 as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. And of course, when you think about it, that they do it right, it makes so much more sense to introduce yourself at the beginning of a letter than at the end, having to turn over and see who it's from or scroll to the bottom and see who it's from and go back to the top. So they introduce themselves at the beginning of the letter. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So apostle means messenger. He's one of the 12 apostles, a man who knew Christ personally. He says in chapter 5 that, that he's a witness to the sufferings of Christ. He's an eyewitness. He knew Christ well. And he's an apostle, and an authorized spokesperson on behalf of another authority, in this case, Jesus. And we read a lot about Peter in the New Testament. I mean, he is just, he's always in the middle of it, right? He's always up to something. And so there's some remarkable moments for Peter, some highs. Uh, there's some, some times where he really misses the mark, some lows. Uh, but for me, Peter's this, this difficult guy not to like. He's always in the middle of it. I wanted to scroll through some of his, his greatest hits, but for time, uh, we're not going to do that. But, but just suffice it to say that, that often he's filled with boldness, with faith, um, he's leading, he's, he's being used in incredible ways, and then at other times he's fearful or impulsive or hypocritical. I love this humanity that we see in Peter. I love the imperfection, and in spite of all that, seeing how God uses this man, it gives me a lot of hope. So Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, who's his audience? He's writing to those who are, he says in verse 1, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. So Peter's most likely in Rome when he's writing this, and he's writing to these believers who are scattered throughout these Roman provinces, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And so on a map, these are, are located right next to each other. And so this, this letter would have been circulated through this region, more than likely multiple copies of it circulated through this region. So modern day, uh, this region would be full of, of Turks. This is the country of Turkey that he is uh, writing to. And he's writing to this group of people. He greets them and he wants to remind them of something very important. To remind them of who they are, lest they start to forget. So folks, you may reside in Galatia or Cappadocia or Bithynia, but he tells them, you're in exile. You are in exile to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion. Exile. Alien. Sojourner. Pilgrim, similar words, all trying to strike at this idea that this is not your home. And in chapter 2 of 1 Peter, he refers to the audience again as sojourners and exiles, even though some had probably lived in this area for a long time. And so, brother and sister, the same is true for us this morning, that if we are in Christ, there is a sense in which we are exiles that our citizenship has been transferred. So even if you've lived all your life in Alabama or 
all your life in Birmingham, or even if you are living right now in the house that you were born in, this isn't our home in one sense. So what makes us exiles is our union with Christ. Hebrews 13 picks up on this. Or Hebrews 11, starting in verse 13, speaking of men and women of the faith who've gone before us, it says, They all died in faith, not receiving the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged, listen, that they were strangers and exiles on earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. They desire a better country that is a heavenly one. So though our citizenship is in the United States, it's a temporary citizenship. We have another homeland that we long for and live for. We are exiles here. This is not our home. And so that impacts how we live. To not be enticed by what John calls the things of the world. Don't love the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh the desires of the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but it's from the world. We have a better country, so don't live for these temporary things, but it's really difficult, isn't it, if, if we're honest? It's difficult to not be enticed. I mean, it's the, it's the soup that we swim in. It's our culture, but we are called to live differently. It's interesting. There's some tension here in Scripture. You may remember about a year ago, we went through uh, some verses in Jeremiah 29. They're really important to me. And Jeremiah is writing to people in exile. And he's saying, don't just forget Babylon. Don't just forget the, the city that you're exiled in. But he says, tells them to plant gardens and build houses, to grow your family, to put down roots. To, he tells them to seek the welfare of the city. And so there's some tension here. We seek to bless the place that we're planted. We seek the good of our community, of our city, the flourishing of Birmingham. We want to see our neighborhoods and our communities benefit and be strengthened because of the presence of believers residing there. But Peter's saying, be careful. But be careful. Don't, don't be enticed. Remember, be a blessing but it's not your ultimate home. So he calls them elect exiles of the dispersion. So not only exiles, elect exiles of the dispersion, and in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So these exiles were chosen by God according to his foreknowledge. He picks it up again in 1 Peter 2. He calls them a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His being God's own possession. This extends to us as well. That if we are in Christ, we are exiles. And not only that, we are elect exiles. If we are in Christ, chosen by God in His grace for His glory. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him 
In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. Chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. As a believer, as you and I, as we consider this reality, the reality of being chosen by God, it can be confounding. It can potentially cause pride to develop. But we must remember that our salvation is not a result of our works. We're not chosen by anything we have done or anything we would do. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's a gift of God, not, a result, not as a result of works. Why? So that no one can boast. There's nothing in you or me or these exiles that prompted God to pursue them and redeem them. Brother and sister, God did not choose you because of your superior performance or your high moral standards. So I want to contrast this reality with those dreaded tryouts, right? You know, while I'm at home on that Saturday, I'm waiting for this roster to be posted. They had this, you know, universal coach system where they take a sheet of paper, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, and write the names of the guys on the team, and they tape it to the inside of the field house door. Then you have to come up there and kind of do the, the walk of shame, trying to see if your name's on it, and, and uh, trying to play it cool. And, and I remember um, trying to, to hold back and play it cool, hold back a smile as I walked back to the car because my name was on the list. I was on the team. But, that, but in that in-between, that question you're wondering is, does my ability, um, does my talent, does my potential, how do they stack up against those around me? Is it enough to get me on the team? How do I compare to the guys or the girls beside me? So if you're in Christ, it's not because of your superior talent. It's not because of some innate goodness inside you. It's not because of your upbringing or your family name or the fact that you were raised in church or your pedigree or your character. It's not that you're just smarter than other people. Why is it? It's all of grace. It's God's confounding grace. So Peter's reminding these exiles that God has set His love on you he has chosen to pursue you, to redeem you straight out of the gate. He's reminding them of this. And the purpose of him saying this to them is to bring comfort and security to these exiles. They're suffering hardship and more suffering is on the horizon. We'll see that as we work through the book. So he's saying, remember exile, though you're scattered through these provinces, the one who matters most, the God of the universe, has set His steadfast love on you. He is faithful. And because of that, you can endure. There is great security and comfort for you. You can rest. He's got you. So admittedly, this morning, this is complex. There is mystery here. 
when we shared the gospel with our friends and neighbors and co-workers and family and classmates, we extend a, a free offer of grace to all who would repent and trust in Christ. Praying, begging, pleading, asking God to change hearts. Believing wholeheartedly that what Paul says is true, that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We share the gospel believing God will call people to Himself through those words, knowing that none of us would have sought Him unless He sought us first. To the elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, he continues in verse 2. I want you to see this Trinitarian work here. Foreknown by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, covered by the blood of Christ. Three persons of the Trinity there in verse 2. So after we're justified or, or saved, we are made right before God positionally. There's this process that begins in a believer's life called sanctification. Sanctification means set apart. It's a, it's a progressive work, often called progressive sanctification, in which we are conformed more and more to Christ's likeness. So the Spirit's goal for the, for the Christian is to conform us to Christ. John Frame says, think of progressive sanctification as the outworking of the new life given at regeneration. That we take on the mind and the heart of Christ. So what does this look like? Well, we start to value the things that Christ values. We, like to, we start to think like He thought. We start to see with His perspective. and We start to love what He loved. So if you've been walking with Christ for more than about 20 minutes, uh, you know that uh, sanctification, this process of being molded into Christ's image can be uncomfortable at times. It's an uncomfortable work at times for the believer because it involves seeing our sin and repenting of it. And it's this progressive work through the life of the believer. and We never fully arrive in the hard part is there aren't shortcuts. There's not easy buttons. It's this process that God is molding us into Christ's image. I love the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, listen, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So sanctification is a work of God's grace accomplished by the Holy Spirit. And admittedly, there's some, some nuance here as well. That believers have an active role, that there's activity, um, that the Lord uses means of grace in our life, but it's activity that's fueled by God, that's fueled this, this God-supplied Effort. So, so Paul says things like, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it's God who works in you, both to will and work for His good pleasure. So as we walk through this life, we're, we're putting ourselves um, in the pathways of God's grace. We're, 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 we're giving ourselves to Christian community, to the words, to prayer, to all these things to help us grow in our faith. 
but it's God's supplied effort underneath it and behind it all. And take heart, this work of sanctification is a work that He's committed to. Philippians 1, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Truth is, we cannot sanctify ourselves in our own strength just like we cannot save ourselves in our own strength. We're dependent on the Lord to help us grow and change. We might be able to modify our behavior to keep some uh, impressions going in front of people that we want to appear godly in front of. But when it gets down to actually changing our hearts, we are dependent on the Lord to do that. It's such a wonderfully encouraging thing, though, brother and sister, to realize that your heart is changing that your desires are conforming more to Christ. Oftentimes, we really focus, we we really see clearly our failures. We really see clearly our shortcomings. We can grow discouraged by those. But it is so encouraging from time to time to see both in ourselves and in others just evidences of God's grace. That sanctification is happening in our lives. And so I think that's one of the ways that we just need to be um, ready to encourage, to stir one another up, is to give voice to, to the ways in which we see God working in one another's lives, the way we see each other growing. Of course, we have to be in community to see that. We've got to know each other. We've got to be honest with one another, to be able to discern those things, but to give voice to that, to encourage that. Not perfection, not getting it right every single time, but growth. It's an encouraging thing for me this week just to think about some of you that I've known for years and, 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 and to see how the Lord's continued to, to grow you. And just, oh man, like heart change is such an invigorating and encouraging thing, not just for that individual, but for the body as a whole. So, so I invite you to think about your life or to think about Others, For instance, maybe at one point there were these selfish desires that you just felt ruled you. And maybe if you were honest now, maybe they're not completely gone, but, but their grip on you has started to, to lessen or loosen a little bit. Maybe that's progressive sanctification. Maybe just as you are about to lose it with your kids or your spouse again, you hear the Spirit's voice and somehow, some way in His grace, your words come out measured and patient instead of reckless and hurtful. Maybe that's sanctification. You used to hide your sin, to never admit your struggles, to never be vulnerable. You didn't want to be found out to be a fraud, but you realized you just shared something very vulnerable with your DNA group or with a brother or sister, and you asked for prayer. That's a work of the Spirit. You have willingness to forgive someone who's hurt you, and before there was only bitterness in your heart. It's a work of the Spirit. You're growing and trusting in God. You're believing that what the psalmist says, that he can satisfy you with good. You believe that's true, so now you don't have to manipulate people to try to get what you want. God will satisfy you. You find yourself praying at certain points through the day. 
pausing to listen. And maybe if you're honest, a few years ago, that wouldn't have been on your radar or your perspective towards Christ's bride. The church has changed. You've realized that really the way you used to see the church was kind of selfish, kind of consumeristic. But now you find yourself getting joy by serving your faith family. It's not a natural thing. That is a work of the Spirit. It's sanctification. Maybe a few years ago, if you were in a conflict, you would dig in, seldom admitting your mistakes. But now you're different because the Gospel has freed us to be wrong sometimes. You used to be marked by anxiety or discontentment. Now you walk in peace and contentment. Maybe you've grown in compassion, humility, patience, gratitude. Maybe you've grown in endurance. You've just endured through a difficult time. Why do I give these examples? It's because I think we easily miss growth. I think we look right past it at all the ways we're struggling and failing. And man, it is an encouraging thing, brother or sister, to realize, hey, I am not perfect, but man, the Lord is working in me. And to call that out in one another. These are just different examples, seemingly small ways that we slowly and progressively start to see these fruits of the spirits in our life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Maybe not completely. Maybe not in every area. Maybe not at all times, but just beginning to sprout, to spring up in our life you can see this in other people, if you can identify with this personally, even to the smallest degree, thank God, because that's not a natural thing. That is the Spirit working in you to make you more like Jesus. And that is the process of sanctification. To the elect exiles of the dispersion, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with His blood. You can think of these as, as links in a chain. Chosen, loved, justified by God the Father according to His foreknowledge. Set apart, sanctified, conformed to Christ's likeness by the Spirit. What's the result? For obedience to Christ. That as we grow in grace, we become more like Christ. We learn to walk in obedience. We don't do it perfectly, but it's a process of growth and we are covered by the blood of Christ. There's this phrase at the end of verse 2, and for sprinkling with His blood. What does this phrase mean? At my first reading a few days ago, I wasn't, I wasn't completely sure. Um, most of these two verses are pretty straightforward. Uh, except for this phrase. Um, so I read about it this week, and I was really glad that I did. I wanted to pass it along. So this phrase, and for sprinkling with his blood, this is a reference back to Exodus chapter 24. You can go back and read that this week. Listen to this. So God's people are entering into a covenant relationship with him. And this covenant is being confirmed. Do you know what Moses does? Do you remember? He takes blood and he sprinkles it over the people. This is a picture 
of God's faithfulness to them, even though they would at times be unfaithful. So Peter's reminding these exiles, God is faithful when we fall short. The blood of Christ covers our sin. So Peter's writing to the elect exiles, according to the foreknowledge of God, sanctified by the Spirit, Spirit, obedient to Jesus, and covered by His blood. And he tells them, grace and peace be multiplied to you. How does he wish them grace and peace? I think it's because Peter senses what is on the horizon, that he wants these believers to conceive of themselves as the people of God. The overall primary purpose for the entire letter of 1 Peter is to encourage believers to persevere and be steadfast when they encounter suffering and distress. That's that's the main purpose of this letter, to encourage believers to persevere, to be steadfast while they encounter suffering and distress. He tells them later, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you. Suffering is on the horizon. He wishes them grace and peace, and he wants to start off by reminding them of who they are in God. You are elect exiles. And so what we've learned from these two brief verses today is this. We need to understand who we are in God in order to know how to live in this world. I'll say it one more time, then we'll close. We need to understand who we are in God in order to know how to live in this world. Let's pray. Father, help us in all of these things. Lord, as we meditate on the, the depths of you, Lord, we're, we're struck by your immensity. We're struck by just how, how big you are, how, how vast you are, Lord, and how small we are. Lord, keep us humble. Keep us eager to hear from you. Spirit, I ask that you would just continue this work of sanctification in our lives. Lord, that you would not give up. Lord, that you would keep us that you would continue to mold us more and more into Christ's image. Father, I pray for endurance. I pray for steadfastness. I pray for just godly resolve. Lord, I pray for encouragement of one another. Lord, that we would be encouraged to, to be steadfast and endure. Father, to be faithful. Help us in all of these things, Lord. We're so needy. We're so dependent on you, Lord, we need, we need you for everything. Father, please meet our needs. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. This has been a sermon from Emmanuel Church. To learn more about Emmanuel or to give, go to Emmanuel with an I, Birmingham.com. You can also follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Emmanuel Birmingham.